0: Listening to the Hooked On Learning Podcast, where we discuss all things related to continuous improvement. And now to your host, Jesse Marka. We are back, and today we're talking bird strikes. If you remember where we left off last time, we were describing bird strikes and the relevance um, to the airline industry. So bird strikes represent a high-risk, high-frequency threat to the airline industry, the error would be how those bird lo- bird strikes are processed based off of the severity of the bird strike. So if you think back to the fire service, we have our own unique bird strikes, and that includes high-risk operations such as um, emergency vehicle operations, fire suppression, special operations. So if you were to think of those incidents as threats, a structure fire There are several threats that manifest themselves at a structure fire. High heat, low visibility, impending collapse. You get the idea. The errors, so the threatened error management portion of this, the errors in the fire service would be situational awareness, training, command, and communications. So we're going to divide up the, the rest of the podcast segments based off of these bird strikes, and we're going to do them in order. Um, because we're also going to talk about physical and mental health at the very end. But today we're going to focus on only one of those bird strikes, uh, and that bird strike is communication. And it's appropriate to start with communication, because after all, communication is the foundation for consistency. So the uh, the airline industry figured this out uh, a long time ago. And in 1978, it was really witnessed in a, a very uh, bad way in Pacific Southwest Airlines Flight 182. So so this was September 25th of 1978 and it occurred in the skies over San Diego, California. Now as a Boeing 727 from Pacific Southwest Airlines was making their descent into San Diego to prepare for their arrival, uh, there was also a Cessna 172, so a much smaller plane that was doing some pilot training. And uh, in that training the the pilot for that smaller plane was actually practicing um, for their instrument rating, meaning they were flying with reduced visibility by basically placing a device or a hood over the pilot's face forcing him to focus on the gauges. Now typically the other instructor would be responsible for maintaining that situational awareness and looking around Um, but nevertheless this is the scenario. You have a Boeing 727 that's coming in for a landing, and you have a Cessna 172 that's in the area practicing this procedure. As the Pacific Airlines flight descends into San Diego and prepares for their arrival, they're told by the tower that there is a Cessna 172 in the area doing pilot training. Unfortunately, the flight crew of the Boeing 727 recognized or and identified the wrong aircraft. So they believed they had the aircraft uh, in sight and accounted for. Sadly, it was an incorrect uh, assessment of what was going on. And the communication was never properly transmitted to identify that indeed was the appropriate Cessna. So as a result Uh, This Boeing 727 basically flew into the Cessna 172, uh, which resulted in both planes falling to the ground. Sadly, all 135 people on board Pacific Southwest Airlines Flight 182 were killed. Both of the men aboard the Cessna died, as did seven other people on the ground, including two children. Nine other people on the ground were injured and 22 homes were destroyed or damaged. So, uh, the definition from the Flight Safety Foundation regarding communication is the capabilities and limitations in transfer- transmitting information, aka speaking, and in receiving information, aka listening, using unambiguous or standard phraseology, aka common terminology in the fire service to coordinate flight desk activity and divide task loading and to interpret correctly and act on information essential for task performance. So the other really interesting part about this is the Aviation Safety Reporting System reports 70% of all incidents involve inadequate communication or information. Now that is uh, is frankly unacceptable and you can see how something so simple and what seem may seem as a relatively minor incident presents such a large bird strike for the purpose of this presentation. So the threat would be the fire, the air would be, in how we communicate with ourselves and, uh, and amongst ourselves on the incident scene. So for the fire service, the sharing information is critical, same as aviation. And in the fire service, one of the ways we do this is we divide up uh, the incident to three different levels. So you know about the task level, We know about the tactical level, and we know about the strategic level. So now we need to understand how we properly communicate within those levels. So if we're operating in the task level, that means you and I are partners, and the two of us need to communicate effectively amongst ourselves. So when would it be appropriate for us to communicate face-to-face, and when would it be appropriate for us to communicate over the radio? Well, if we were talking to one another, we're in the same area performing the same task, then why would we ever talk on the radio? Now we would be tying up the radio with non-essential information when we're standing practically next to each other. So task level, inner task level, we talk face-to-face. Now if there's a message that is coming to us or going from us, so if we are receiving or sending uh, information outside of our task level, we are sending that over the radio. That should not be done face-to-face. So when we call command with an update, we should be calling command. Uh, on our radios, not on our trumpets. Tactical level, now we have somebody working within uh, a bigger crew. So we may have a tactical level supervisor that's responsible for multiple crews on the second floor. Now the crews are going to be talking to themselves face-to-face and they're typically going to be talking to that tactical level supervisor face-to-face. Conversely, the tactical level supervisor should be in a position where they can have that direct communication with the crews working under their supervision. However, they also share um, in common with the task level that they should be transmitting any information to the incident commander via the radio, not face to face. That tactical level person should not be running in and out and in and out and in and out so they can transmit messages to everybody face to face. Those messages should contain essential information it should be transmitted over the radio accordingly, based off of a status change, priority traffic, um, or some other uh, event. That should be how it's transmitted. Now, the last level, strategic level, you may have escalated command, you may have a fit, you may have uh, all of the general uh, functions as referenced by NIMS. However, in escalated command, unified command those people on the strategic level should be in direct contact with one another in a face-to-face setting. All that communication within that level should be happening face-to-face. However, just like the first two levels, task level and tactical level, you need to transmit your messages back to the tactical level and back to the task level, meaning that has to be done over the radio. So, That is pretty simple to sum this all up. Task, tactical, and strategic levels, when you're talking within your level, it should be face-to-face. When you're talking to another level, it should be over the radio. So a little bit of a brush-up on forms of communication. We talked about this a few chapters back. And forms of communication, what we're really talking about is the words you're using, the tone in which you're saying them, and the accompanying body language. In fact, right now I'm talking with my hands and nobody can... Uh, nobody can actually see that, so it feels kind of weird. Point is, we talked about this before that the words you say actually mean far less than the tone you say them with and the body language that accompanies it. So, Morabian's theory says that 93% of communication is essentially nonverbal, meaning your body language and your voice tone make up 93% of that communication the words you use, Uh, based off of Dr. Albert Morabian's research, he's also the author of Silent Messages, say that only 7% of that message is conveyed through your actual words. So think about that. Now, in the fire service radio discipline, Super important, and the reason radio discipline is important is because it facilitates operational discipline. So when you hear something that sounds really nice over the radio, it probably looks really good in person. And conversely, if you hear something on the radio that doesn't sound very good, then there is a very strong probability that in person, it doesn't look very good. So the fire service, we have some reasons to break radio discipline. There are seven, and I'll give you one more kind of a trick question, but there are really eight uh, reasons to break radio discipline. Number one is a mayday. I think we can all agree you do not wait to transmit your full mayday message. Number two is a sudden bad event, a flashover, a backdraft, uh, some sort of collapse. You get the idea something bad happened, meaning if we're going to talk over the radio, we're going to give that under the guise of Priority traffic. Command from rescue one with priority traffic. Get it? Next one would be a roof report. Well, is a roof report priority traffic or routine traffic? Well, here's how we follow this rule. If it's good news, then command from ladder one with a roof report. If it's a roof report with bad news, command from ladder one priority traffic. And then we would give the message as to why that is bad news. We have uh, smoke and fire from all existing vents. Uh, the fire's breached multiple skylights. The roof is sagging. It's going to fall down. You need to get people out of the building. That would be priority traffic. If you are unable to complete an assignment or a task, that is the fourth reason to break radio discipline. So again, based off of the reason why you're unable to complete that assignment or a task, that also may be very well uh labeled as priority traffic. Uh, Number five, concealed space fire not easily controlled. If you guessed priority traffic, you're correct. That is also priority traffic. That is significant tactical information for the incident commander. Number six, status change. So you're exiting the structure, you're changing locations. Command from rescue one with the status change. Go ahead, command this is rescue one, we're on the first floor. We've got a primary all clear, no sign of fire we're going to move to the second floor for a primary search and check for extension, right? That'd be a status change. Another status change would be Command from Rescue 1. Command, this is Rescue 1. We are running low on air. We're going to have to exit the building and recycle. Another crew will need to take our position. So that's number six. Uh, Number seven, so the seventh reason that you'd break radio discipline is if you encounter a victim. So Command from Rescue 1 with priority traffic, go ahead, command, this is rescue one, we found a victim on the second floor, we'll be exiting the structure, and we will need EMS outside, right? That's the idea with that. Number eight is the trick question, and number eight is basically said, uh, basically says, whenever ordered to do so. So if command asks you for a CAN report or something else, that is a reason to break radio discipline. Now in the military, especially in the aviation uh, setting, they have some really, really, really important standardized communication. So one of my friends, uh, Captain Andrew Dennitz, is a captain on a KC-135. Now the mission of the KC-135 is pretty critical to the mission of um, the uh, military in general as it relates to aviation. Because they are charged with the responsibility of refueling uh, aircraft mid-mission. So to extend extend the mission capabilities of fighter jets and all other kinds of aircraft, bombers, they refuel them mid-air to allow them to get to where they need to go. So clearly high-risk operation. You're pumping jet fuel through a boom that's extended into another aircraft within close proximity. So... What the Air Force does is they use a system called VVM, and VVM stands for Verbalize, Verify, and Monitor. Now, that's their version of the order model, just as we would do the order model, and they use this for a couple of different reasons. So as the uh, pilot or co-pilot in the cockpit of this KC-135, one of your jobs is to turn on the corresponding fuel pumps uh, based off of what you... What uh, the fuel demands are of the other aircraft. So the co-pilot the whole time will call out or verbalize what's going on. Turning on pump one, turning off pump one, turning on pump two. And they verbalize that for a few reasons. One, uh, if something were to happen to that person, theoretically, everybody else should know where that person left off. Two, it, just in case the person says the wrong thing, somebody can can question that immediately. Uh, is is that what you really meant to do? And we'll talk about this a little bit later in decision making. So verbalize, verify, monitor, that's what they do. They also have two really key uh, phrases. One is a breakaway. So during this high-risk operation of fueling a jet um, based off of a boom that's coming from another jet, something may arise, uh, something in the environment, weather-wise, uh, anything that might cause a potential incident, they will call for a breakaway. Now, this is not something that's just thrown around casually. This is talked about during a briefing, and that's pretty much it. The other unique part about this, because it's crew resource management and it's drawing on the strengths and experiences and abilities of all the people present, anybody in either one of these aircrafts can call it, including uh, the boom operator or another support member on that KC 135. So if the boom operator calls a breakaway, then you break away. And it sets in motion basically a series of predefined actions, whether it's uh, the KC-135 throttles, throttles up and the fighter jet throttles down, or one aircraft goes left and one aircraft goes right, one goes up, one goes down. You get the idea. You don't play around with a breakaway. So that's the first one. The second um, standardized communication that's super important in the Air Force and the world of aviation is a go-around. So as that aircraft makes their uh, descent into whatever airfield they're going to be landing at, if they see something that is not right, any member, any member of that flight crew can call a go-around. So that sets that into motion. And now the plane does not land and instead uh, maintains that altitude and goes around the airport until they can verbalize, verify, verify and monitor whatever is going on. So, super important standardized communication. Now, in the fire service, we have our own standardized communication, our own uh, common terminology, and that would be a par, a mayday, offensive, defensive, exit the structure, abandon the structure. Those are all um, common terminology in the fire service. And we have so many different reasons to tell you why those are so important if you just think of something as exit the structure versus abandon the structure we're already in a pretty high risk low frequency event here means we're doing a strategic shift which is probably under emergency traffic so you could reasonably expect that people would have an elevated uh, level of stress here so if you were to just simply say abandon the structure what are people going to do they're going to jump out of windows right they're going to repel down this is going to be a big deal um And then afterwards, you're like, hey, what would you jump out of that window for? Well, you said abandon the structure. And then you go, ah, dude, my bad. And then exit the structure. I won't do that again, right? So big difference there. And uh, in the fire service, we have seven basic communications that are really routinely performed on the hazard ground. We have our initial radar reports. We have follow-up reports. We have assigning units, command transfers, can reports, roof reports, and strategic shifts. So if you can master those things, you've pretty much mastered all of the important things that you need to know um, for the purpose of our communications. Now, we don't use Verbalize, Verify, Monitor, but we do use the order model. Now, the order model can be a little bit confusing sometimes or hard to break in terms of our old habits, but it's super important that we talk about it. So our version of, of Verbalize, Verify, Monitor would be to contact the receiver, right? So we connect with them. The other person would state that they're ready to receive the message. We then transmit that message and they would briefly restate the message in order to confirm that message. Uh, so for example, when we order fast food, we may roll up at the uh, any fast food drive-thru and uh, if you just start ordering your Double Nugget Burger, there's a good chance you don't get your Double Nugget Burger Because why? They weren't ready to receive your order yet. So you don't pull up at the window and just start talking. You want to get the right food. So if it's so important that we use it when we're ordering double nugget burgers and uh, coffee drinks and all this other super healthy stuff, then we should use it when we are giving orders on the fire ground or another IDLH environment. So it sounds like this. Uh, engine 1 from command, uh, stretch a handline to the second floor, delta side. Engine 1 copies handline to the first floor, bravo side. Now uh, that's big negative, engine 1. Second floor, delta side. So, see, that's how the order model works right there. And uh, it's important to make sure that we're always doing that. Hey you, it's me, here's what I have to say. And then, did you say that back the right way? So it keeps everybody on the same page, it keeps it steady. It, again, facilitates operational discipline. So to sum up the communications module, so again, threat being some type of fire or IDLH environment, the error being our communication in processing that threat or mitigating that threat, here are some best practices. So communication best practices. Number one, you've heard this one before, set the tone, right? It's your job. Set the tone. Have a command presence. Even if you're not in command, have a presence. I'm sorry, are you asking me to pull a lay off the engine or are you telling me to pull a lay off the engine? Um, number two, conduct thorough briefings. Okay, so on scene, your initial radar report, your follow-up report, those are briefings. Your assignments to the crews, that is a briefing. In the morning, when you're setting the tone and uh, during shift change, and we're talking about our roll call meetings, that is a briefing. If a truck breaks down mid-shift, if a new truck goes in the service mid-shift, that is a briefing. Number three, clearly communicate all decisions. Number four, best practice of communication, seek information from others. Um, that's why we're in the fire service. So one of the benefits is we are a team. It is critical that we exchange information up and down the chain as needed. So another good example of communication here in crew resource management would be pit crew CPR or high performance CPR. That's a great um, example because during that, there may be concerns. So if you have a concern, what steps do you follow? Number one, contact the crew member. Number two, state your concern. Uh, Hey buddy, did you check a sugar? Number three, state the problem as you see it. This person has a history of diabetes. Number four, state the solution. Do you want me to grab Google glucometer? Number five, obtain agreement. Copy that. I'll get the sugar. Thank you very much. So those are the best practices for communication. It's taken a few minutes to go through this one, but that's because communication is key. As we said before, it is the foundation for consistency. So it is important um, that we explicitly encourage participation. We clearly communicate our operational decisions. We assert. Um, with the appropriate level of persistence and then at the end we critique ourselves as well as other crew members in a constructive way when appropriate and what we call this is setting the tone so I hope you've enjoyed our first bird strike of communication uh, stand by as we explore all of the other bird strikes next up will be situational awareness and we'll see you then thank you for listening to the Hooked on Learning Podcast That's until next time smart.